Do y'all know that it's been a solid five months now since we've been together and worshiped in this room? It seems crazy to me. And, and we as a team have been diligently working on plans so that our body might be able to gather again. We are looking forward to, to unveiling some of those plans to you this week. But in the meantime, I want to give you a word of encouragement. Despite the fact that it has been five months, tornadoes and pandemics, since we've been able to gather together in this room, God's ministry has not stopped at the church at Lachlan Springs. We have continued to been able to serve him, enter into his service in East Nashville, continue to be able to support our ministry partners here in our community, continue to be able to be the hands and feet of the gospel to our neighbors. That is due in, lar- in large part to your continued giving. The giving of your time, of your talents, and of your treasures. If you are looking for a place to serve this morning, please reach out to us. Let us know. Let us find a, pla- let us find a place for you to plug in. If you're looking for a small group to get involved in, we have brand new small groups starting right now. Let us know. Let us get you plugged into one of those. If you are looking to begin supporting God's ministry here at the church at Lachlan Springs financially or continue your financial support, you can give online. You can text the word give and a dollar amount to 623-623. And as Travis tells us every single week, every time we give of our time, our talents, and our treasures, God does infinitely more. Spring of 1995, I was selling shoes at Sports Seasons in uh, West Nashville, Lion's Head Village. Wasn't really my favorite gig. I was looking for something new. I had just met this unbelievably attractive young lady named Nicole, found out that she was waiting tables at Dalt's Grill, also in Lion's Head Village. And I thought, you know what? What better way to get to know her a little bit better than to apply for a job and work at Dalt's with her? I I, I recount that story now, and it seems a little stalkerish. But at the time, it was perfectly logical in my mind, and things did work out okay for Nick and I. I also thought, you know what? Waiting tables, that that seems like a decent gig, and I don't imagine it will be very hard. I'm good with people. I have a decent memory. I I could probably just slide right in there and make some good money. So you show up on the first day and it's it's a full-on training day. You sit down around a table and there's a person that leads you through manuals and health codes and all kinds of things like that. And, And in my mind, after that day, you just show up, they assign you a couple of tables, you take people's orders and you take food out to them. That wasn't actually the way it worked. For the next week, every day, I would show up and I was assigned a person to follow. A server that had been there for a long time, one of the shift leaders, people that knew the job inside and out. I would show up early. You know, they teach you simple things, how to, how to clock in, how to request your schedule, what the server rotation looks like, how to do your prep work. 
all the silverware you have to roll into napkins, um, how many uniforms you would need so you could rotate through those and keep them fresh and clean and you weren't having to constantly do laundry and they wouldn't fall apart, how to clean your section, the rhythms of serving an entire section of tables as, as one table. How to do tips. And I don't mean how to receive tips. I mean how a server would tip out at the end of the night. You tip your bartenders and you tip your busboys and you tip the expediter. And the manner in which you do that, suddenly your drinks start coming in a little faster. Suddenly your tables start getting a little cleaner. Suddenly your food starts coming out a little bit faster. All of the things that went into being a good, efficient, effective server that I had no idea. I thought it was as simple as walking to a table with a notepad, asking people what they wanted for dinner, going to the kitchen and picking it up and bringing it back out. You see, that week of follows, as, as I shadowed servers that knew the inside and outside of what it meant to be a server, it was a vague reflection of an ancient culture of apprenticeship. This, this system of training a new generation of practitioners of, of trade or professions with on-the-job practical training. Oftentimes, apprentices would actually go to live with their mentor because they needed to see the life and rhythm of a person in that trade or profession. They needed to know more than just the simple technical skills, what it meant to be a cobbler or a butcher, a baker or a candlestick maker. But, but the life of a cobbler or a butcher, what time do you go to bed? What time do you wake up? How do you how do you get new clients? How do you keep the books? How do you build relationships in the community with your potential customers? How do you build relationships with the farmers that you get supplies from? The rhythm of the entire life of someone in that profession. In the church community in pews just like these, we often use the word discipleship. That word discipleship comes from the exact same word that apprenticeship comes from. As a matter of fact, the great Dallas Willard refers to followers of Christ, not as disciples of Christ, but apprentices of Christ. This idea of living with our mentor, of living with our Savior, so that we can learn the life and rhythms of someone that follows in his footsteps. This is the culture of discipleship we are called to. It's a culture of apprenticeship. That is the culture that, that here at the church at Lachlan Springs, we, we wish to pursue and explore. And perhaps we find no better example of that apprenticeship culture than in the relationship between the Apostle Paul and his apprentice, Timothy. Now, Paul first met Timothy, we see in Acts chapter 16, in a town called Lystra. It's in Asia Minor, Turkey. It was on Paul's second missionary journey. Paul had come back through because on his first missionary journey, he had planted a church there. 
He was checking in on his friends, those people he had come to love, those people he had taught and lived with for a time. And in coming back through, he meets this young boy named Timothy. Paul had already known Timothy's parents, Timothy's grandparents. But on that missionary journey, Paul sees something in this young man. He sees a hunger for the scripture. He sees a hunger for Jesus. He sees a desire to live and breathe the ministry of Jesus Christ. So Paul takes him on as a student, as an apprentice. Throughout the New Testament, we get a 20-year overview of the, of the relationship between Paul and Timothy. We see as Paul repeatedly refers to Timothy as a son or a child in the faith. As Paul writes to the church at Corinth, a couple of times he refers to Timothy as his brother in Christ. At the end of Paul's letter to the church at Rome, Paul refers to Timothy as a co-laborer, a co-worker in Christ. We see this, this relationship beautifully grow and mature. Now, Paul refers to Timothy in several of his letters. We have at least two letters that Paul wrote directly to Timothy. And for the next eight weeks, as we, dis, as we explore this concept of discipleship, of apprenticeship, as we unpack our plans for what that will look like in our church body, we are going to do so by exploring Paul's final letter, both his final letter to Timothy and more than likely the final letter Paul ever wrote. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, if you would turn with me to 2 Timothy. I'm going to begin reading right at the beginning, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, that is a classic Paul introduction. If you look throughout his letters in the, in the New Testament, we see Paul begin his letters almost that exact same way nearly every single time. But you may be thinking, all right, Hannah, you just told me that, that Paul is, is writing this letter to his dear friend, someone he's known for over 20 years. Why would he begin it this way by introducing himself? Well, a couple of reasons. First of all, as we already pointed out, that's kind of just what Paul did. But beyond that, Paul understood that, yes, this letter is written to Timothy, his dear f- friend, beloved son in the faith, but it would also be circulated to, to various believers, various churches around the area. And Paul always wanted to make sure whoever read the letter understood who was writing it and the authority with which he was writing this letter. Paul goes on in verse 3. He says, I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I constantly remember you, Timothy, in my prayers, night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. When Paul wrote this letter, 
he had been in prison for at least the second time. This time, Paul understood it was different. This time, Paul was nearing the end of his journey. He knew it. He felt it. He had sent Timothy to lead the church that had been planted in Ephesus, which was not an easy place to serve, to say the least. Paul missed his friend. They had been physically separated for quite some time. But it wasn't out of sight, out of mind. We see here in verse 3, Paul is constantly praying for Timothy. Day in, day out, praying for his spiritual health, his emotional health, praying for his ministry, praying for his people. Paul prayed on behalf of his dear friend, Timothy, day in and day out. We also see in verse 4 how heartbroken Paul was to not physically be with his friend. My confession to you this morning is, as I have read this passage over and over and over again this week, more than once, this verse has brought tears to my eyes. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Paul missed his friend. He wanted to be physically with his friend again. But he knew in that moment it just wasn't possible. We are known throughout the community as an incredibly warm and welcoming and loving congregation. We are a congregation that is built on community and relationships. Many of you, like me, look forward to Sunday mornings with a great deal of anticipation because of the joy that this community brings. Many times over the last five months, I could have written this verse. I miss you. I love you. I long to be with you. Now is not the time. But despite that, we don't cease to pray for one another. We don't cease to love one another. And I pray we don't cease to miss one another because it is in that longing that we are reminded of the beauty of the relationships, the intimacy that God has given us. It's exactly where Paul was as he begins this letter. Paul goes on, verse 5. I recall your sincere faith that first lived with your grandmother Lois, and in your mother Eunice. And now I'm convinced is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. So Paul, in writing this letter, in in kind of sensing the finality of what's going on, at the very beginning he says, Timothy, I love you. You are my son in the faith. I miss you. 
I would love to be with you. Know that I pray for you every day and every night. And as a word of encouragement, Paul then says, I want to remind you of where you came from. You see, Paul, as we talked about, he he had already been through Timothy's hometown. Paul knew Timothy's parents. Paul knew Timothy's grandparents. Paul knew that Timothy's dad was a Greek, had not yet met Jesus, wouldn't have been a spiritual leader in that household. But he also knew that Timothy had this incredible heritage of faith found in his mother and his grandmother. Pillars of the faith in their community. They brought Timothy up in a home where Scripture was the foundation. We see that even in this letter in the third chapter. How... how Timothy was brought up by his mother and grandmother to pursue Scripture, to pursue his Savior. And Paul wanted to remind Timothy of where he came from. Beyond that, in verse 6, as Paul says, I want to remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul is saying, your faith heritage doesn't just come from your mother and your grandmother. These pillars of the faith that brought you up in the scripture, that brought you up in the ways of your Savior. But I want to remind you, Timothy, that that I, I have been your mentor as well. I have seen you grow and mature in your faith. You've been my apprentice, my student for so long. You have been commissioned by laying the hands on, uh, by laying on of my hands. I've commissioned you to where you are now. So as you sit there in Ephesus, on days that you feel like it's impossible, on days that you feel like you're alone, on days you feel like you don't know what you're doing, remember where you came from. Remember your heritage. Remember what got you to that place. Make that your stake in the ground. If you have not been with us long, You probably already love this sanctuary. You love this room. What you may not know is a few years ago, this sanctuary went through a great deal of renovation and restoration. Bringing it back to its former glory. And at the same time, updating parts of it for modern worship, including building a brand new stage. It is true I stand on a stage that is less than three years old, but underneath this rug, there is a circle of wood from the original stage that sat under the original pulpit to remind whatever pastor stands here that he stands and preaches the gospel in the same place the gospel has been proclaimed on the corner of 16th and Holly for nearly a century. Our congregation, whereas we are a church planted barely three years ago, we are a church that is built on the foundation of a congregation that is 120 years old. But our our heritage in the faith goes way deeper than that. We can trace this church directly back to the New Testament, directly back to the book of Acts, directly back to Paul, Antioch, Timothy. 
Our faith heritage runs deep. On top of that, individually, in our more immediate history, each of us has someone in our lives we look up to in their faith. Someday, I want what he has. Someday, I want what she has. I want to be like her in my faith. I want to know God like she does. It's these things that brought us to this place in our lives. It's these things that led us to this place in our faith journey. But be reminded what Paul says in verse 6. Therefore, Timothy, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you. He says, Timothy, you have an unbelievably strong heritage in your faith. Your mother, your grandmother, me, so many others. They brought you to this place. Never forget where you came from. But at the same time, never forget your faith is your responsibility. Rekindle the gift of God. Stoke the flames of faith in your life. It is not a passive faith. We are not called to sit back and wait and say, yes, I'm reminded of this incredible faith heritage, my ancestry and the faith that got me to this place. And now I'm going to sit here and wait for this stream of heritage to carry me along in the tide. I'm going to sit and wait until somebody knocks on my door and says, hey, would you like to be discipled? Our faith is our responsibility to pursue our Savior in our life. And yes, that includes discipleship, apprenticeship relationships. Both to be apprenticed and to apprentice. To constantly be stoking the flames of faith in our life. Finally, Paul goes on in verse 7. Timothy, I love you. Timothy, I miss you. Timothy, I long to be back with you someday. I remember you in my prayers every day and every night. Don't ever forget where you came from. Constantly be stoking the flames of faith in your life. Verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, of love, and sound judgment. As, as Paul reminds Timothy to continue to stoke the, the flames of faith, to continue, continue to rekindle the gift that God has given us, Paul says, do that even in the middle of ministry, when it's so hard, when you feel so alone, when you feel so isolated, when you're uncomfortable, when you're uncertain, when things feel unfamiliar. Because God has not given you a spirit of fear. It's a verse we've heard a lot recently. It's a verse that makes some of us nervous because, quite frankly, we're afraid. 
And you read things like this and say, okay, God hasn't given me a spirit of fear, but I am afraid. So what does that mean? I will never forget as Nick and I prepared to get on a plane to go to the mission field. When I say prepared to get on the plane, I'm talking about in the airport about to walk through security. We had a tiny little football-sized baby. We had a couple of backpacks on our back. All of our stuff had already been shipped overseas. My father was at the airport with us. He was the last person to see us and speak to us before we walked through security. And right as we said our goodbyes, Nick broke down in tears. She said, Mac, I don't know if I can do this. I am so afraid. And because I'm afraid, I fear that shows a lack of faith. And my dad said, no, no, no. Faith is not a lack of fear. It's doing it afraid. As Paul writes to Timothy his child in the faith, his brother in Christ, his co-worker in ministry, Paul says, I know you feel alone. I know Ephesus is hard. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. And what he means by that is fearlessness doesn't indicate an absolute absence of fear. What it indicates is refusing to allow your fears to make your decisions. As you live and work and do ministry and pursue your Savior, do so being reminded that God hasn't given you a spirit of fear. God hasn't given you a spirit that makes decisions based on that fear. Times now are hard to say the least. We've been doing this for a long time, and I don't know about any of y'all, but I never thought it would last this long. And the longer it goes, the more apprehensive many of us get. The uncertainty, the unfamiliarity, in the middle of that, we as a team have been searching for ways to give clarity and direction, some sort of certainty to our community, this local expression of the body of Christ, as we've been pursuing those plans. There have been nights I have been terrified. But I've constantly been reminded that our decisions will not be made by fear, but will be made out of a pursuit of our Heavenly Father, our Creator, His will and His ministry. Paul says, Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but one of power, of love, and of sound judgment. Power, love, and sound judgment. Now, first, be reminded. Paul says, God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but God has given you a spirit of power, 
love, and sound judgment. These attributes come from God, not from your personal efforts. At no point does the Scripture say, you are a Christian, therefore you personally are now powerful, loving, and discerning. Those things flow out of you through the Spirit within you. Now that word, power, the the word in the original language, it doesn't necessarily mean strength or might, the ability to do anything. It's more of a sense of empowerment. It's an enabling type of power. God has given you a spirit of power, meaning God has empowered you to carry out His will. God has enabled you by the authority of the one you serve, who is the all-powerful creator of the universe. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and a spirit of love. That word love, it's the agape love. The love that Christ models for us. The love my father used to always define as, I love you anyway. I don't care what you did. I don't care where you came from. I don't care what you said about me. I don't care what you have done to me. I love you anyway. That agape love is far beyond our human capacity. Only coming from the Spirit of God within us, who gives us that spirit of power and that spirit of agape love, and finally, a spirit of sound judgment. It's often also translated as restraint or self-control. Now, I, I want to I park on this idea of sound judgment for just a moment because the spirit of sound judgment and Not having a spirit of fear go hand in hand. We've heard that phrase, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, a lot during the last few months. What that doesn't mean is, I am going to jump off the roof of this building. Because God did not give me a spirit of fear. What that does not mean is I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, without fear. Because God didn't give me a spirit of fear. Because God did give me a spirit of discernment and sound judgment to come alongside that. If we are making our decisions, if we are acting out of fear... That's contrary to the spirit God gave us. At the same time, if we are making our decisions or acting simply because God didn't give us a spirit of fear, our actions, our decisions are being made by our relationship to fear just the same. God gave us a spirit of sound judgment and discernment to pursue him and pursue his will. And it's through that pursuit of him and his will that we will make our decisions, that we will take action. Community and relationship. 
It's what so many of us love about this congregation. And it still exists just because we haven't been able to be together in this room for the last five months. We have not lost that. It is my prayer. We will continue to pursue that. We will continue to love one another. We will continue to miss one another. We will continue to pray for one another day and night. And we will do it all in the pursuit of discipleship. In the pursuit of being apprentices to our Savior. Growing and maturing in our faith daily, teaching others to walk along that same path. So that, like when Paul sat so distant from Timothy, he could say, I love you, I miss you, I pray for you. But I am overjoyed in the knowledge that where you are is exactly where God would have you right now. And your your faith reflects that of your faith heritage. Your faith reflects that of one that has been gifted by God and is pursuing him. That's been given a, a spirit not of fear, but of joy. A spirit of patience, a spirit of kindness, a spirit of power and love and sound judgment. These are the things that we will pursue. Our actions will come out of a spirit of empowerment. Out of a spirit of love. Out of a spirit of discernment. Times are scary. They are uncertain. They are unfamiliar. And they make many of us very uncomfortable. But we will be fearless. Because we are children of the King. We serve the one true God, the creator of the universe, and the creator and lover of our souls. And it is in that spirit and to that God we pray this morning. Lord, as we pray each week, we stand here humbled and amazed by your presence, grateful that your presence is not relegated to this room, but is in every corner of our lives. We are grateful beyond words that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of discernment. May we act out of that spirit in pursuit of you in your service. We pray all of these things in your son's sweet and precious name. Amen.